Every picture, pictures ain't my thing, but I could put a story in your head and open up your eyes. So listen, folks, this one is for my brothers, sisters, cousins. All okay, we're back with the Juby Take. I'm Steve. I'm Adam. And tonight, it's just the two of us, and we're going to talk some football. It's back. Finally. Yes. We showed great restraint. We showed great restraint this year. We didn't start in July talking football like we did last year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, as much as we wanted to. Uh, there was, I mean, we definitely had our conversations off the mic, that's for sure. Yeah. So now uh, the 49ers are practicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first game actually is Thursday. Ooh. I hope they had a couple practices before that. Oh, yeah. Well, they get right into preseason games. Yeah, it's, that's basically practice for them, right? Yeah. And the Ducks started three days ago. Right. So, you Which know. Which is huge. They're out there. Uh, you know, yesterday, or, or today, I think, was the first day in helmets. Okay. Wow. Hopefully, it's not or like in, 101 up there. Yeah, maybe shells, like I guess they call it. So, they put the shoulder pads on. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, great excitement for both. You know, last year, we were excited because you know both of our teams had new head coaches yes and new staffs the 49ers last year had no quarterback right exactly going into the season uh but you know we both liked the the coach and the general manager you know shanahan right getting them in there was was a big deal i thought we we agreed with that that move yeah shanahan is the coach you know the other part of that too was there seemed to be some stability you know they they gave them you know, both six-year deals. Right. And, you know, which, again, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be around for six years the way that, you know, pro sports are. But there seemed to be an understanding, you know, because it was a revolving door there for years. I think four years in a row, five years in a row, they had new coaches every year. Yeah, it was a little frustrating. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere if you do that. Exactly. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, last year with the Ducks, uh, Willie Taggart was coming in and... You know, we were excited about a new staff and a new direction. It's it's kind of well documented if you, you know, read anything about the Ducks that, you know, that they were they were falling. And, and really, it's all attributed, you know, now kind of in hindsight, people looking back, you know, Mark Helfrich is a, is a good coach. He's a good game day coach. Right. He's a good X's and O's guy, but he is not the recruiter. No. He no, just, no. you know, and... And the whole staff was the old school staff, guys that had been there for 30 years. And the guys that are probably not willing to, you know, spend every single night calling recruits and. Well, I, you know, I, I think they were committed. I think they, they wanted to recruit. I think they were recruiting. They were good recruiters in the past, you know, but they're, they're still, you know, they're not into social media. Right. You know, which is all the kids are doing now. It's a new age of, of recruiting. Yeah. You know, you have to have an Instagram presence. And you have to be able to connect with them in that digital way. Exactly. You know, because everybody else out there is is really doing that. Right. And I think that that's, you know, the lack of connection and direction from Helfrich and the fact that we had a bit of an aging staff. Right. Stuck in their ways, maybe, um, of doing things, you know, the same way forever. It yeah, seemed I, to work at times, but, you know. Well, Again, you have I don't to know. Adapt. You have to adapt. I don't know that Helfrich it ever did because you know he. Well, he, with Helfrich, no. But I was talking more with the the aging staff. Well, yeah, you know, back when you know you were, you know, you didn't have that social media presence, you know, all that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, you know, they they understand how to do that. You know, where you're going out and seeing players. You know, it's it's not as much, 
you know, video and video chat and, and, you know, all the stuff that goes on now. But they had, you know, it just it seemed to me that everything had kind of, you know, become complacent. Uh, you know, I think when Kelly left, he took the best of, of the, uh, you know, the coaching staff with him. Right. And, you know, the couple people that were, were there, you know, Scott Frost, you know, who stayed and became the offensive coordinator was, I mean, he a was rising probably star. the best coach that they had. Yeah. Rising star. Yeah. You know, now the new head coach of Nebraska, of Nebraska. Yeah. He went to, uh, uh, Central Florida, Central Florida. Yep. And had a great and, season with it. Were they well, undefeated? Uh, they may have been, but I know that he, when he took over the program, I think, you know, the two years before, uh, they hadn't won a game. Yeah. And he totally turned that around and now he's, Exactly. He's at Nebraska, and I think it'll be very interesting to watch and see what he does at Nebraska because Nebraska has been down for quite a few years now. Right. Yeah. No. They their name has definitely been tinted when they they hired when they hired Riley. I I couldn't understand that. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. That hire. So anyway, so now we're you know we're looking at you know Willie Taggart coming in, and uh, we've had a couple podcasts since then. Yep. You know, Taggart stayed <laughs> for a year and left, didn't even stay for the bowl game. Uh, supposedly, he was his, you know, dream job of going to Florida State. Right, exactly. So we'll see. What I found very interesting is some of the comments from the coaching staff, and it's been nothing directed at Willie Taggart. And also some of the players, there's a lot of things coming out right now, a lot of interviews. Yeah. You know, a lot of immediate attention now that they're, you know, they're out there practicing and, and everything's going on. And some of the interesting things that, that I've heard is Taggart's lack of discipline. And I think to me it showed on the field oh. because they were one of the worst teams in the country when it came to penalties. It was incredible um, how often we got penalized. I mean, if you think about how many teams there are in in, in Oh, yeah, we were 230th or something in the nation. and it was hard to watch a lot of it. Yeah, because every single series, it seemed like there was a penalty or two. Now, you know, losing a game based on, you know, because you don't have enough talent, that's one thing. And that's, you know, frustrating in its own way. But it's still you can watch it because you can see that they're trying. You can see they're there. They're engaged. You know, they have fight. But when you, you're getting those kind of penalties, you're beating yourself up and you're losing the game that way, lack of discipline, it's one of the hardest things to watch. You just, you feel like they're not trying hard or, you know, that they, they're not, like they're giving up almost. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's a little bit more than that, but it, that's the, the feeling as a fan that I get watching a game where we're just having penalty after penalty. Yeah. You, you can't get anywhere. You yeah. know, you, you can't win a game. And there are effort penalties, they call them, you know, where somebody's really trying to do something and they make a mistake. Yeah. They make a mistake or, you know, you're going full speed to try to tackle somebody. And at the last minute, you know, they dip their head lower. Well, they, yeah. Or they step out of bounds or, or different things, you know, but you're, it's an effort. The penalties that are frustrating, I think that you're talking about are, you know, the holding penalty and a holding penalty to me is a lazy penalty on the offensive line because you're not in position. Right. And so if you're not in position and now you find yourself in a disadvantage, well, what do you do? You reach out and grab the guy's shirt or a false start. And and then of course the false starts and, and those are just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, with the number of reps that you do and with, you know, again, if, if that's really important, it doesn't happen because 
you know, there's a lot of teams out there that may have, you know, maybe won a game. Right. You know, a procedural penalty, you know, where it's a false start or the majority of the teams have it that way. I, I think. Yeah. And <laughs> I know the, the ducks last year, it, it seemed like they had won almost every series. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So Taggart's long gone. We've talked a little bit about the fact that, that we like, you know, Mario Cristobal was, was kept. He was the offensive line coach and, and uh, assistant head coach last year. Right. And, I really like the guy. You know, he, he came from Alabama. Right. Was the um, offense. Didn't have a banjo on his knee. But was anyway. Was he the he, offensive lineman coach over there? Or was he yeah, the offensive he, coordinator? Or was he both? He was both, I think. Okay. He was assistant offensive coordinator or assistant yeah. head coach. Some of these classifications, I'm not exactly sure. Even what they mean. Yeah. Just different <laughs> responsibilities. But when he, when he came to Oregon, you know, he was a co-offensive coordinator and uh, an offensive line coach. Right. And his history is, you know, he played at Miami. He played under Jimmy Johnson and, and Erickson, you okay. know, Dennis Erickson uh, was on, I think, two national championship teams. So he has a, a really great pedigree as far as understanding football and, and how it should be played. And he also has had head coach, coach experience. You know, he was a head coach for six years at, I think, Florida International. Okay. So... It's it's not like he's never been the head guy before. Right. He's been there, but he's also had a lot of time to be able to sit back and watch other people, very successful people around him or, you know, above him or even some people that messed up and, you know, did the wrong thing or, you know, didn't have discipline as Taggart. And he was under him for a year. You know, obviously Nick Saban is the other guy I'm talking about who he saw a lot of success with. Yeah. Someone that you know, probably had a lot of great habits and things that he could learn from that way. But it's, you know, he's definitely had a lot of time to grow. Well, you establish, you know, what, what Saban did at Alabama and, you know, he failed to do it in other places that he was at was establish a culture. Yeah. And it kind of grows within itself. You start getting on top of things and now everybody wants to go to Alabama and you kind of have pick and choose of who you want. You know, you get coordinators that come and go. He's, you know, he brought in Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin. Right. Guys that I wouldn't want around Oregon. But yet, because of the nature of, of what he's established and the, the structure that and he the has. culture and everything. He, you know, they're successful. They were able to make it work. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's amazing to have that kind of culture. And that's one thing that I think I would love to be able to, to have with Oregon. And there's a lot of great momentum moving forward with Cristobal, um, whether it's just players being able to come in, but we have a great coaching staff as it is. And that's one thing that he's mentioning at the moment, you know, coming into this camp and, and coming into this, um, the fall and everything is that, you know, the culture is just kind of developing now and, and they're starting to feel it. They're starting to actually see it, you know, obviously when the practices, but you know, when it comes to just overall culture. Of the school. One of the things that, that you really notice with this coaching staff, and again, they kept most of the coaches together from, you know, the, the Taggart hires. Now they may have overpaid some, yeah, you know, but you just don't know, you know, you've, you, you've got to do something. There has to be some incentive because when it, you know, you throw a, t- a team of, of coaches together, like they, like Taggart did, and then he takes off. Okay. There's right. no loyalty to the school. They've been there for a year. Right. 
you know, what exactly are you going to do? Hopefully the money that we're throwing at these coaches means that, you know, that we want them to be committed and hopefully they are committed to staying for a little bit to build something is what you're saying, right? Well, exactly. And one of the things I applauded Cristobal is that, you know, everybody had such a bad taste in their mouth with the whole Taggart thing. And Cristobal, again, wanted this job more than anything. He, he loves the Oregon brand. He feels like with the facilities he's got and with the commitment of the university and the commitment of Nike and all the things that Oregon has going for it, it's one of the best jobs in the country. Oh, yeah. And he ended up signing a contract that has just ridiculous penalties if he leaves. It's like, you know, he owes $10 million and the contract isn't even $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so he's like, I can put whatever in there you want. Yeah. This is where I want to be and I'm not going anywhere. So the the way that that contract is is structured, there's just no way he can go anywhere. Right. And that's because he doesn't want to. Yeah, well, like you just said, for all those reasons, I don't think anyone would want to. I mean, uh, unless Florida State calls. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't get me started on <laughs> what I think Florida State's going to be this year. I don't wish ill will on anyone, right? Yeah. I'm so not that kind of guy. Yeah, let's just. There's no uh, no vendetta here, you know. No. no. I, I hope Willie no. Taggart just has a wonderful time at Florida State. I hope State. all of the great things to happen to him. You know, I just, you know, I like that commitment from Cristobal. Now, one of the things I find interesting, uh, watching a lot of, of the interviews of coaches and and players, and really kind of across the board, they talk about Cristobal's commitment and his energy that he brings. Right. You know, the, the entire staff, really, with the energy. And what we talked about with the old staff, you know, Helfrich's group, these guys are all media savvy. You know, they're all social media. They're all, all over it. Right. You see them everywhere. Some of the stuff that's being said, uh, you know, the players, you know, they talk about, I, I watched an interview with Brady Breeze and he's a, you know, I believe a sophomore. Safety, right? Safety. Uh, Oregon kid. You know, he was talking about the fact that, that he loves that, that Coach Cristobal challenges him and attention to detail and discipline. And, you know, getting to meetings, if you're, if you're 10 minutes early, you're late, you know, having that commitment to the team of not making silly penalties or doing things that, that, you know, are distracting or, you know, are bad for the team Yeah, that he's tough. But then, you know, he kind of told a story of, of last year when Cristobal who's the offensive line coach and, and dealing only with the offense, uh, came up to Brady Breeze and talked with him about the effort that he put in on one of the reps and practice on special teams and commended him and said, you know, that's the way, that's what I want to see. That's the way you play football. That's the energy that I want to see way to go. Patted him on the back and breeze. Just when he walked away, he's like, why was he even watching the film on special teams? He's right. an offensive line coach. You know, why is he even doing that? And then he makes the effort to come and find me. You know, because there's 110 players wandering right, around exactly. every day to actually say something to to find me and and then come up and and commend me on that. He goes, you know, it just it. He goes, I love that. I love the fact that you know he is you know attention to detail and detail oriented oriented and you know really pushes the players. Yeah, but yet there's that human side 
where he'll come and put his arm around you. And that's what you need when it comes to being a leader and it comes to having people go all out for you is they have to see that you're human and they have to see that that you're there with them and that it's a battle. You know, you're not above them. You know, you're you're there and you're there to help them along the way and, and do what you need to do to, in this case, to develop them or, or train them or teach them into whatever you need. But they know that you're as much of a part of it as, as they are. And I think that's, that's yeah. the difference. That's kind of that, that human aspect is just like you're, you're putting in the hard work just as much as they are. Right. Because what he talks about is not just developing football players, you know, and a lot of coaches, there's coach speak, you know, and a lot of, you know, no, it's, you know, I really want, you know, them to be great human beings and blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, coaches say it. I don't think all coaches mean it. Right. I think a lot of coaches are, I need a football player and you know what you do in your off time or, you know, what you are when you leave this program, I don't really care. Right. doesn't matter much, but I really think Cristobal seems to mean it, you know, because it's past players, you know, have talked about him and, yeah. and that connection, uh, Johnny Johnson, uh, wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, saw an interview with him as well. And, you know, he said it just, it's, you know, the whole coaching staff is challenging everybody and wanting everybody to get better. And it doesn't matter if you're a walk-on or if you're a five-star stud, you get reps and you get treated the same and, and you have the challenge to prove yourself and get playing time. Right. Now, again, develop from head to toe. I love that because I know that in the past that hasn't always been the case, especially for oh, us as well. You know, oh, Helfrich was one of the worst at, I'm going to give the the number one quarterback reps. I'm going to give the number one two, two quarterback a couple of reps and no one else gets reps. Well, holding players accountable. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, in retrospect that Helfrich really struggled with. There seem to be different sets of rules. If you're the star, okay, you know, you can do this and you can do that. You know, you miss a meeting or you're late or you're, you're this or that. Well, you want to keep your star happy. Right. And you know, it, it, if you're in that situation as a head coach and all of a sudden, you're you know, in one, one of your best players doesn't have the discipline that, that's needed. Well, how do you handle that? Right. Well, it, it seems like a very confusing and very difficult concept, but it's not. It's very simple. You hold everybody to the same standard. And if somebody isn't doing what they should do, then they don't get on the field. Right. You know, again, all of these guys keep their job because they win football games. You know, I don't think there's any time that a coach is, is kept because of his graduation rate <laughs> or because of his past players. Right. You know, they don't track them 10 years down the road and, okay, how good are they as far as fathers and human beings and all of that? They have one job. And that's to win games. But as we were talking, you know, I mean, the whole thing, it's all tied together. You know, if you have the discipline, if you treat all the players the same and make everybody get better, if you challenge everyone, if you do things the right way, you will win games. Right. Exactly. And it, it seems like it in the moment that, well, gosh, you know, I'm going to let this slide because he's my star receiver, but you end up paying for it in the long run. Well, really, I mean, more than anything, what you really want is your stars to be the leading example. You know, you want them to be able to show the rest of the team that is living up to try to be them or be like them you know, that, that it takes hard work and that you have to, you know, get there by doing it. And, you know, one thing that I would say, and it's, you know, 
you know, switching over to the basketball world. No, with, with Damian, you know what? No, 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 no. With, I'm just quick. No, like, I love I'm, it. I'm, no, I love it. There isn't a sports podcast that we've done that we haven't at least mentioned basketball. I love it, Adam. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, is is the fact that the Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, you know, that those two are the two best players on the Blazers by far, and yet the only thing that I hear when it comes to, you know new players coming onto the team, you know, and how they are, you know, enjoying it or reacting to it. And the culture is, is that those two are in the gym all the time, working hard and showing that they're, that's what it takes to get there and to do it. And, yeah. um, I think that that's necessary for any kind of culture, any development when it comes to a team, when it comes to those stars and obviously, um, well, absolutely, and, was and, there, it wasn't. and I think probably the the example I would have used to stay more with the theme of the show is Marcus Mariota. You know what I? Because Marcus Mariota, yeah, is is your star. Yeah, okay, he's a Heisman Trophy winner, and he is the leader of your team. But he is exactly what you talk about. Right. He is hardworking. He is humble. He does the right things, and that's what you need. And one of the interesting things that, that's going on right now is uh, the Ducks have another player kind of in that mold in Justin Herbert. That's, I mean, it's, and it, what's interesting, and I, I think that when, when Marcus first came to the team, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, that he was uh, kind of shy, that he wasn't a vocal leader as much. No, absolutely not. Yeah. He's and laid so, back Hawaiian. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he was, was a kind th of three-star recruit. So he didn't come in very similar, right? He didn't come in with like a high, hot head, you know, thinking he was top yeah. dog. Yeah, there was not that big. But it was. it's obviously been the same road for Justin Herbert and moving in, you know, being a Eugene, you know, kid, Sheldon and, and coming in, you know, to the you know, same school in the same, same city. You know, he, it was hard for him, again, not to have a big head and come in and just play. And like, you know, he has well, he not been very vocal at all and that's one thing that he's talked about since he's taken over the starting job that he needs to work on and get better at yeah and by all accounts you know he he is better at that totally the interesting thing when when they recruited him he was kind of an afterthought they already had a quarterback right you know it's like oh well, you want to come here um okay i guess we'll take you yeah and there wasn't you know that with helfrich there wasn't the hype you know, he's just like an, like I said, an afterthought, you know, right. hey, yeah, let's, let's give him a chance. And now, you know, again, the hype machine that we talk about all the time, you know, they're predicting that he's going to be the first quarterback taken next year in the NFL draft and, right. and he's this and he's that, you know, and I just, I try not to read those things because it just annoys me. There's so many outlets, there's so many things going on, people doing podcasts all over the place talking about sports, and I think they know what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> but everybody's predicting all these things. Right. And I don't want to predict. I want, you know, I feel like what we talk about is what we're, we're seeing going on now. Right. And what we're hoping will happen. Well, you know, I know you don't like predictions because who knows, right? And it's just, it's all speculation, and, you know, it's just talking based on maybe what you want, maybe more than what you feel and what you see and what you want actually believe is going to happen. Um, and, but I do think that there is a time and a place for predictions and I think that they are fun and I think that's what they're meant to be. Is this always more than fact? You know, I always enjoyed, you know, those kinds of, 
predictions, sure, you know, that's fun, but they're, they're everywhere now, you it, know? And as soon as the basket, the last bounce of the basketball, the next thing, the next day, oh my God, I brought up basketball again. <laughs> the very next day, there's the way too early top 25. Right. There's the, you know, all these stories about, you know, this particular team, you know, what's the final four going to be and all of that. It's like we and just that's had the that stuff last that, week. <laughs> it, that's the stuff that annoys me. There's yeah. no business for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking at the teams, the football teams right now, yeah, there's going to be a preseason top 25. But like, you know, a week or two weeks or a month before the Super Bowl, when you know who the Super Bowl, you know, teams are, predictions for that, that's fine. It's fun. You know, predict away. Yeah, but when I mean, it comes to I mean, predicting a year and odds, a half, yeah, you know, it based just, on it, something that's like it, it middle gets, school kids, you know, that are committed to Duke, you know, yeah, like it gets, how it's going to be then. Yeah, it gets it gets way too carried away. And that's what annoys me is there's just too much of it and it's too abstract. Yeah. There's no way you can predict, you know, what's going to happen for March Madness next year. I'm sorry. You just can't. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So getting back to the Ducks and, you know, Mario Cristobal, everybody that, you know, that I listen to is very positive about him and what he's creating. And he, he seems to be a disciplined guy. He's very intelligent. Now we'll have to see what he does in games. Right. You know, we'll have to see how the team reacts. Last year, the team was horrible in the second half. Yep. It seemed like every single game, all the games that we lost, we're in it in the first half or we have a lead and then we don't score in the second half. Yeah. And that was, was Willie Taggart's team. Quite strange and frustrating. And we talk a lot. Every time we talk about sports, we talk about in-game adjustments. Right. And it doesn't matter what the sport is. Having to be able to make those in-game adjust, adjustments so you see what the team's doing to you and you figure out what to do to combat that. Right. And I really feel that Willie Taggart was horrible at that. It's it, it just, pretty, it's, yeah. You know, all you got to do is look at the stats. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the facts it's right if, there. Yeah. If you don't score in the third quarter. In your whole career at in, Oregon. Well, I guess. yeah, any of the Pac-12 games. Yeah. Then there's an issue. Totally. Now we had a similar issue in the bowl game, but I kind of dismissed the bowl game against Boise State. There were so many factors involved that made we, the that game was very way too hard. early. Taggart had left. They had just given the job to to Cristobal. You know, they had a, a huge recruiting weekend. The weekend that they ended up having to play, so they had to cancel all of that. Right. So, not representative, I think, of of what this team is going to be. No, no, not at all. I think that was. Very, very hard to for the players to get invested in, in what was happening. And there's too many emotions in that locker room at the time. Yeah, there wasn't the leadership that I think we're going to see this year. One of the things that I touched on it a few minutes ago about recruiting. And, you know, Taggart had put together one of the best classes that Oregon's ever had. Right. And when he left, you know, we, we lost a bunch of players that decided not to come here and, and virtually all six of the wide receivers that that we had yeah it was mainly all of our big wide receivers and so we lost all of those and and Cristobal I was I was very happy with the fact that you know between the university making an effort to keep a lot of the staff with Cristobal and what he's able to do and you know Jim Levitt and and Salavea and Hayward right you know that just a, a lot of guys they were able to keep that class together. And the 2018 class is one of the best classes Oregon's ever had. 
right which is huge and so crazy to think of of you know obviously there was the hype and all of the players that came when willie tiger was here and and then to have the head coach gone at that point and for there to be such uncertainty and then obviously the the solid core of the coaching group that was brought together you know obviously staying helps but you know with the head coach change happening it definitely makes it so that it's very impressive that we reverted from losing all those players and having such negative energy moving forward with the university into even making an even better class coming in than we had originally had before. Yeah. I mean, they, they kept a lot of the really big names. They connected with everybody. Yeah. You know, they, like I said, they salvaged the team, uh, the recruiting class of 2018 as to, you know, one of the best the teams ever had. Now, the interesting thing is, okay, they go right back into it because recruiting is, you know, a year round process now. Right. And the current recruiting class for 2019. Right. Is, rated fourth in the country yeah and by far the best in the pac-12 well we haven't had a, a you know a top top 10 t- a recruiting class in in history of oregon right and now we're gonna have back to back if we have well we weren't in the top 10 last year oh right okay as a matter of fact i think we were third in the pac-12 oh wow okay but you know again it was a like a top 15 top 16 uh class which is is great for us right well when you look at this year, you know, if it maintains and if they're able to sign these kids and there's, there's a lot of ifs with this, right, right, but it right. seems to be pretty solid. There seems to be a lot of talk among Cali flock. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids from California and you know, I, I really think that if they're able to sign this now, that's that next step, you know? So now you're bringing in the kind of talent that can compete on a national level. Right and the kinds of players and then it's player development and you know it's it's getting some depth right you know one of the things that i like that that cristobal talks about is playing with more power you know oregon has been you know under you know Bellotti and then with chip kelly and then with helfrich you know chip kelly really took it to you know speed right exactly you know, oregon's always had kind of fast players and been kind of a, you know, a fast team. Well, Chip Kelly took it to, you know, the fast pace, you know, 90 game, you know, plays a game, you know, hurrying up all the time, fast players. Catching people off guard, yeah. Right. And nobody was, you know, knew how to how to deal with that. You know, right. a spread offense, just play after play after play after play, and he'd wear you down. Yep. And it was incredibly effective. Well, a lot of people are doing that now. Right. And so it's not that unique. And it's, you know, people are figuring out how to stop it. Right. The interesting thing with Cristobal on this team is he wants to still play at tempo. He still wants to to play quickly, but with power and finish plays and not be as worried about running back to the line of scrimmage as you are in finishing a block. Right. Or finishing, you know, your route or whatever your job is in that particular play. And he wants to to play with more power and more leverage and technique. You just see it with the size of players that we're getting now. I mean, Lyman for sure is a crazy change, but you know, even just, you know, the, the other defensive positions, linebackers, you know, we're getting bigger safeties, corners, you know, we're getting taller corners. 
you know, the ones that, you know, in the past we've had good corners, but undersized corners. Right. You know, 5'8", yeah. you know, 5'7", five, 5'9". Five, the Ifu Ekpreolamus, you know, of yeah. the world. You know, and just great, but you just it's such a disadvantage against a 6'3 receiver. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, that that's changing the kind of players that they're going to get. But also, you know, you mentioned you know, smaller offensive linemen. I'm, I remember when Oregon recruited, you know, 260 pound, you know, offensive linemen. Right. And so they'd bring them in and they try to beef them up. You know, they, you look at somebody, okay. Try if to get him to three. If he's six, four. Okay. Well, he can take more weight than that. He's pretty thin at 260 pounds. So you, you know, you, you dump another 20 or 30 pounds on the guy. Right. And, you know, okay. So you're making an offensive lineman. It takes you a year to do that but you're still, you know, undersized. One of the things he talks about, Cristobal talks about with preparing is it's not, and I love it. He calls them beach muscles. They're not beach muscles. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be popping, you know, you're, you're not going to be, you know, that taking the shirt off and, you know, six pack abs and all that kind of stuff. Right. But it is, it is the strength and power, you know, so it's a different type of, of power, different type of strength. And then it's, it's also flexibility. You know, it's interesting when you, you know, you start listening to some of these guys, like you watch the combine yeah. and as much almost every position when you're watching the NFL combine and all of these guys, which is just, you know, they get them out there and run them around. Right. They talk about ankles, ankle bend, flexibility in their ankles, which is movement is change of direction. If you're stiff, if your feet are stiff and your ankles are stiff, you're not as agile and you're not as able to change direction right. and move around. Which is everything in football. Yeah. So they, it's, it's gotten to that point where, you know, they're, they're out there watching this, you know, 300-pound guy go through these different drills, and they're, they're watching his ankles. <laughs> and then it's hips, you know, how you can get in and out of your cut, how you can get out of, in and out of your move with, with how you move your hips. And it's all flexibility. And that's the difference now. They're starting to look at, at these things. Right, like sports science. It is. And yeah. Oregon has a tremendous sports science facility. Yeah, we do. It's incredible. You know, it's state of the art. You know, the, the new uh, strength and conditioning coach. Who, yeah. The guy's crazy. He is. He's able to, to do some of the things. You know, it seems like all strength and conditioning coaches have to be a little crazy. You know, he, he has a unique look, the handlebar mustache. Right. And he, you know, by the end of every practice, he's hoarse, you know, he just, he's yelling and energy, you know, that's just, you know, one of the things that that's really important. Right. You know, and, uh, his name is Aaron Feld and yeah, I mean, it's, I remember watching a YouTube video of him recently and he's just very intense and just, um, he, I believe he, he sets challenges for, for the um for the players yeah really and it's i think it's challenges for everyone just he's a very motivational guy yeah. he's not trying to just affect his team and his players like he wants to literally try to affect the world and how you know fitness is seen and different things like that so to have that kind of ambition to have that kind of you know prowess when you're talking about what you're doing it, it's so much more inf infectious you know, for, yeah. for the team to really get on, on board and be like, you know what, like, I'm going to do this challenge. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do 30 squats a day or whatever it is that, you know, he throws out there for the team. Yeah, exactly. With what Crystal is talking about is the fact that 
it's it's just a different approach. It's kind of an SEC approach. It's different than than what's been going on at Oregon. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how it manifests itself on on the field. Yeah. You know, again, the the in-game coaching, the adjustments, you have that enthusiasm every year. You know, you want yourself, you know, your team to be to be good. I mean, we kind of live and die with the Ducks every year. Yep. You know, it's every every game day is an event. It is. You know, it's it's sitting around and watching the games and and but you want to like the players too. And you want to like the team. Right. You want to believe in you what want, they're doing. You want to like the coaches. Again, what you know, we were talking about with with Marcus Mariota. You know, he just he's just a great guy. You know, he just he's the he's the guy that you want your sister to marry. You know? Yeah. You know, you want your kids to be. Totally. Because, of you know, he's humble. He's a great role model in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's, the, I mean, just who he is as a person and how humble he is and how compassionate he is, is what sets him apart. Yeah, his know? acceptance speech uh, for the Heisman is, is just absolutely amazing. You listen to that and then go the year before and listening to uh, Jameis Winston. And right. just night and day difference in in the way that they approach things, right, and the way exactly. that they come off. So anyway, the uh, the schedule this year is is very favorable. You know, as it turns out, that our three non conference games are absolute cupcakes. Yep, I think that welcome they were, to the SEC. Yeah, yeah. The only difference is we don't play a cupcake in November, right? And the, you know, the Pac twelve, although they they looked absolutely horrible in the bowl season last year. Yeah, really bad. The whole we won one game, one bowl game. I think we were one in six or something. Yeah, but it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting year due to the shakeup in head coaches. Right, all the new head coaches. You know, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and that program from where Riley had it when he went to Nebraska. Which again, that's the hire we couldn't understand. Isn't Riley back as like an assistant coach I at Oregon so. State? He, well, he was Jonathan Smith's coach. Jonathan Smith was a quarterback oh, okay. for Oregon State. Okay. And they're going to be horrible. Yep. They'll, they'll be lucky. That they've got a couple cupcakes at the start of the year, and, and that will be their only win Yeah, if they get two wins. Dang, that's going to be rough. But you also have Herm Edwards at Arizona State. Which is a defensive-minded coach with an offensive team. Well, and it's very interesting. Herm Edwards hasn't coached in college ever. And he hasn't coached in the NFL. He's been an, an, a commentator and an analyst, I think, for the past 10 years at least. It's such an interesting career path. Yeah, to, to hire him. I mean, he's never recruited. I don't know. It, it will be very interesting. Yeah. And then Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. At Arizona. Wow, yeah. No, that's huge. I actually kind of forgot about him. Well, he came from uh, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. And Texas A&M, uh, when they let him go, they hired uh, Jimbo Fisher. That's right, from, from Florida State. Florida State, and that's why Tiger went to Florida State. That's so, right. Man, the jungle of, or jumble of coaches last, last year was insane. So you've, you've got those, uh, and then, of course, you have Chip Kelly right. at UCLA. That's the big one for us. It is. The interesting thing always to me, uh, Chip Kelly, I don't, and he used to say this, that he doesn't really like recruiting. Right. If he gets a staff that's great recruiters, then okay. But when he was at Oregon, like National Signing Day, 
where everybody's sitting around and having a press conference and talking about the he new kids coming practice up. With all of this. He would go out and, and take the team out and go have an activity because he'd, he, the team wasn't about the new guys coming in. The team was about the team that he had there. Right. And I understood that. Right. But I think that... You have to be looking towards the future. If you're not, then what kind of future are you going to have? Right. And I think so many of these kids are, you know, they need their handheld, whether they, you like it or not, whether you think that it's, you know, that they should be that entitled doesn't matter right you know to get them you do what you gotta do i mean ucla still you know they have the big name and but they haven't won anything in a lot of years no but i mean being in california you know a lot of and you know we're not we're seeing it right now with it really doesn't matter you know with a lot of the california players going to oregon you know you would think that maybe a big name like chip kelly going to ucla would draw some of those players yeah, and that's you know that's what we'll see. Uh, when he went to the NFL and he went to Philadelphia, he, by all accounts, became you know, he's kind of a control freak anyway. Yeah, and by all accounts, he wanted to control everything. He wanted to control what the guys ate. He wanted when they went to bed, when they woke up. He wanted to control their lives. Right, and he felt that he knew best how to create the ultimate athlete. Well, it didn't work in the NFL. Right. And the one year he was at San Francisco, you kind of have to throw out because the San Francisco 49ers were a mess back right. then. No, they were. And with Balky as, as the GM and, oh, and there was just nothing good was going to happen there. Right. But I just, I wondered if he would ever go back to college. Because to me, I, I don't know, that just, he, 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 didn't, he wanted to be in the NFL. He wanted to be successful in the NFL. You know, he's a Bill Belichick wannabe. Right. And so is he going back to UCLA because that's what he wants? Or is he going back to UCLA, going back to college? Because that's where he feels like he's... That he can take the next step and maybe get back into the NFL. Hmm. I don't think they're, you know, as, as we talked earlier about Cristobal's commitment to Oregon. Yeah, I don't think they're saying that same commitment with... I don't think so. I don't think that, that Chip Kelly would ever sign that kind of contract that Cristobal did again, they're two totally different guys and two totally different situations, but still, you know, Cristobal's showing his commitment to Oregon and if he's successful, he'll make money. Yeah. And it, he'll have opportunities. Absolutely. Will. But I think that he's, he's very committed to Oregon and, and wants to, to build something here. I'm not as convinced that Chip Kelly is committed to UCLA and wants to build something there. Well, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I haven't watched anything or even heard him talk about it at all. So it's hard to you know say it's just speculation on what we know of Chip Kelly and uh, his past and what he wants and what we've heard. But Well, I'm very interested to see if, if he has a new innovation. Yeah. Because he came to Oregon and there were players there. You know, it wasn't like the, the cupboard was bare. Right. You know, Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator for a few years. And then took over as head coach. And what I saw with the innovation of playing as fast as Oregon did, there were a lot of times that Oregon would run plays. The other team wasn't even lined up. Yeah. And we would walk into the end zone because they're just, the guys are standing around. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. Well, everybody does that now. And it's, you know, I mean, utilizing the, the cards on the side of the, you know, to, to call plays instead of right, right. You know, so signals. He's, yeah. He's, so he's signaling in the play. So everybody is, 
you know, before the play even finishes, they're looking to the sideline to get the next call and, you know, running up to the line of scrimmage and go, 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 go. And it was very effective and it took us to two national championship games. Right. But my question is, what is Chip Kelly? Is he going to try to recreate that? Because that's not that effective no, anymore. It's, you can't. He needs to. So what other innovation? Yeah. You know, it, can he come up with something else? There's only so much he can do out there. I mean, yes, there's, I think there's a unlimited amount of concepts, but only so much that's going to work. And hopefully he's able to find something that's effective because I think that would make things very interesting in the Pac-12. Yeah. I well, want to see success in the Pac-12, especially after our droughtful last year in the, in the bowl. Games. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting things, new looks and, you know, we'll see how the, how the season goes. I like the idea that the Ducks, you know, playing with more power. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a combination. It's not strictly what what Stanford does, but Cristobal talks about when Oregon was going to this high-speed offense and some of the other teams were picking this up and kind of doing it and how Alabama was falling behind and they were getting outscored. Right. Because, you know, they would have their six minute drive. And this is, you know, the thing with Oregon, when you played against the really good teams, teams would take, you know, six, eight, 10 minutes, grind out a drive, go down, score a touchdown. And then 38 seconds later, Oregon has scored and kicked off to you again. Right. So it's going back to your offense. Can you do it again? Yeah. You know, and the more plays that you have, the more chances you have for Mistakes, a, mistakes, or a defensive play that that stops you, or a drop ball, or, or different things. So right. that was kind of the concept. If you can score in three plays, you're less likely to have penalties or drop balls or mistakes as opposed to having a fifth. I mean, a, a fifteen play drive. Right. Exactly. So you know, again, a lot of teams have caught up to this. So now it's kind of a situation where, okay, uh, where are we going? You know, what is Chip Kelly going to come up with? Cristobal is looking at playing more like what Alabama does, which is with power, right. but still with tempo. So he has, you know, that's why we have 10 offensive linemen ready to play this year, 19 on the roster. <laughs> yeah, he, he made a, a very interesting comment in the, the news conference yesterday. Somebody brought up the fact that the five starters last year played 96% of the offensive snaps, same five guys. Yeah. And Cristobal, just without hesitating said you do what the head coach wants and the next question the follow-up was so are you going to do that again this year and he goes no so it was not his idea he did yeah. not want to do that right he was in charge of that group but taggart told him i want the same five guys out there and okay and consistency consistency continuity i get that but cristobal made a very interesting comment he no said wonder we never won a game in the third quarter he he talked about the fact that okay well if you've got, you know, one car sitting out there in your garage and it's got 200,000 miles on it, um, it's kind of worn out. You know, wouldn't you rather have two cars and distribute the miles amongst them? If you have the quality of players, if you've got 10 guys, and he said 10 guys will play. Yeah. So you have two different groups and they've all learned every position and they've all practiced together because that's what he does. He, you know, he talks about the fact that he doesn't have a depth chart. He has an organizational chart. The organizational chart is telling, okay, you're going to be here. You're going to be with this. You're going to be with this. It's not, here's my first team. Here's my second team. Here's my third team. So right now in the fall camp, you're getting different players playing different positions. That, so they know, okay, 
the center position, you know, the guard position. So if you're making this block, you know what the tackle's doing and why he's doing it and right. how it works within the play. You're able to work better as a line if you know those so, kinds of things. Right. So everybody knows what's going on. So when you make adjustments, you know that, okay, well, if I can't get here, because everything's about in-game, you know, in-play adjustments. Right. You know, if you get perfect position and perfect leverage and the perfect block, okay, that's great. But if it's not quite perfect, okay, how can you adjust? Well, if the tackle knows what the guard's trying to do, then he can adjust if it's not perfect. If the guard knows, if the center knows, the tight end, all that kind of stuff. And that's his philosophy. Hmm. And getting more players so you are fresher in the fourth quarter. You know, getting more guys on the field. You know, and that's where establishing that depth. You know, the, the, you look at the quality of the offensive linemen that they brought in this year. And then the quality of the offensive linemen that they have signed, not signed yet, but are committed to Oregon for next year. Yeah. It's a huge strength. And then also if you get somebody gets hurt, which, you know, injuries are part of the game, you're not losing that much. You've got somebody that's been playing the whole time. Right. And then you plug in the next player. Exactly. So I like a lot of the things that he's saying and I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, if you have a quarterback, that's, that's so much of, of the game. Oh, well, it just, it, it allows you to be able to play one half of the game, which is the scoring. You're never going to win a game if you can't score. We've seen that over the last couple of years. We've had issues at our quarterback position where we just are not in even in games at all because of the fact that we just don't have an offense and we can't score. Well, that was the case with the 49ers last year. Uh, Bethard is, you know, was a, a rookie quarterback that came in and, and we couldn't do anything. And it's not like we didn't have players. We just, just couldn't get anywhere. And the other thing was, you know, once we got a quarterback, you know, the 49ers were hit with, with so many injuries last year. I mean, they just were decimated. They had as many as any other team in the league and trying to stay healthy. But if you don't have a quarterback, if you don't have somebody that can kind of bridge that, okay, you don't have your number one receiver, but yet, okay, you know, I can pinpoint pass. I can, I can still move the ball. I can compensate for that. Right. You know, cause everybody's dealing with injuries, but if your quarterback needs everything to be perfect, if he needs real separation, but you don't have your number one receiver. So the, the backup can't get that same separation. So he's got a tighter window to try to throw it into. Right. It doesn't work. Exactly. I mean, that's what made, you know, Tom Brady so successful just over year after year, after year, after year, after year is the fact that he has so much in his arsenal that no matter who he had on offense or who was on his team, you know, he could work with them. Yeah. Of course, some years he was stacked and the team was great and whatever, but you know, it's always interesting to me when a player is, you know, at a particular team and it seems to be so good. And then he goes to another team, you know, he leaves free agency and he's mediocre. It's like, okay, well, what exactly made him great before? Well, if you have a Tom Brady, you know, if you have an Aaron Rodgers, you know, if if you have unique, talented quarterbacks that can throw you open, can make a difference, can put the ball into such a tight window that you don't have to have that big separation to have the ball thrown to you, and then it's just a matter of catching it, and all these guys can catch, all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, well, I see. You know, that's how valuable those guys are. Right. And not everybody has them. Right. So 
No, I'm, I'm excited and hoping that uh, Garoppolo can be that guy for us. Yeah, uh, I think he has the ability. Obviously, the, the league will catch up to him a little bit. So I get that. But it looks like it's going to be a much more competitive year. Yeah. I don't think we're planning on you know, a national championship party or a Super Bowl party no. from, with our teams. But I think we should be competitive. And I think could, you know, it's, it's building because the commitment the 49ers have made and the commitment that Oregon has made right. to the staffs that they've got in keeping some consistency and, you know, looking at, at next year and the year after and still, you know, building that there may be some championships in our future. Yeah, and the momentum is moving in the right direction, and that's all we can ask for as fans. Yeah. So, that's true. All right, well, I think that that's, uh, that's going to be it for our inaugural football podcast for First 2018. We will, do, we will do some. We will have uh, certainly more to talk about as the season goes on and talking about uh, you know results and, and how things are working. But yeah, once again, Adam, good job. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed your drinks. And if you want, there's going to be more perspectives later. We're living in a world of capital over progression. Where you can shop for spreading love, but on a wealth obsession. Money can't help you see the light. In the end, you can't buy yourself a Porsche when you're dead. Well, mama said that I don't got to be part of the world to truly love. Pray for a difficult life to live. Rise above it, this is the time I'm at So let's be tasted, so let's do everything we can Before one day I wanna be known as one of the good ones One of the good ones Before one day I wanna be known as a good one of today point them out to me so i can come and join their rate we'll walk around this land with open hands looking for change we'll want to understand this progression we have at hand humanity is killing wheat for this we will not stand i say let's progress in good contest make conference then love our best our onslaught of love will be at an all-time high crashing like waves on some ponderosa pines our love that makes no sense we who spend love at no expense we are a force of passion create a new faction taking action working hard just for the satisfactions with the abilities to shine so bright that others want to 